Welcome to the Rosemont Baptist Church Podcast. Rosemont is a thriving group of believers who desire to connect with Jesus and His church, grow in faith and understanding of God's Word, and serve in our local area and around the world. We are located in LaGrange, Georgia at 3794 Hamilton Road and invite you to attend any of our three services on Sunday mornings. Please visit our website at rosemontchurch.org for more information. And now we pray that God speaks to you in a personal way as you listen to this week's message from Pastor Adam Camp. Take your Bibles and open to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we're winding down our sermon series on marriage we've entitled Happily Ever After. In fact, I'm going to preach this week and next week, and then we'll be done. We'll kind of move into the Easter season and preach a couple of sermons related to Easter. But I pray you've been challenged. Uh, I pray you've been encouraged. Uh, I pray you've taken this study seriously in your home. I've really enjoyed the great conversations I've had over the last many weeks with people related directly to this service, whether it's something specifically that they've learned or some homework that they've been able to work through or even some areas of struggle, some disagreement that they've, they've uh, begun to think about and are kind of working through together as a couple. I pray that that's been the case for you as well. I, I want to remind you, as I've done every week, that there is hope for your marriage. Right? You can have a good marriage. You can have a marriage that brings you joy and, and fulfillment. And so we've made this sermon series very practical for you. Uh, we've given you a lot of very practical advice. This morning will be the same. But I wanted you to understand there are kind of four levels. I mention this every week uh, that you can get involved in. Just the sermon alone is kind of number one. You come in here and you kind of take with that what you want and do with that as you please. Level two is the homework. I've assigned homework every week. I'm going to do that again this week. Things you can go home and actually work on with your spouse. Uh, level three is a marriage assessment. If you're interested in sitting down with one of our team members, working through a very specific document, uh, you can go online and click on online marriage assessment. When you do that, it'll ask some information about your family. One of our team members will contact you and then walk you through the process. That will eventually kind of spit out this 15 or 16-page document that helps you better understand your marriage, some of the specific things you're good at, some of the things you're not good at, and then you'll sit down with one of our team members and work through that document very specifically. A lot of our couples have already signed up for that. That's still available. And then level four is a marriage counselor that's certified, that's trained, that would love to kind of sit down with you and your spouse and work through the very specific things. But I want you to understand, even when this marriage series is over in a couple of weeks, as a team, we're still committed to helping you. And so if you need some advice, you need some counseling, uh, you want to do the online marriage assessment, that's going to continue to be available in the future. You're welcome to do it now. Uh, but as things change in the future, and maybe you realize in a few months you needed it more than you think, that will still be available for you. Now today, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, this is probably uh, the most well-known passage of Scripture related to love in the entire Bible. We've all heard it before, probably at weddings. Uh, maybe you've read it in cards We've been reciting it as a, as a church at the end of every service over the last many weeks. And we're really going to look this morning at beginning in verse 1. We're going to kind of focus in on verses 4 through 6. So we have that for you on the screen. You can follow along in your Bible as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. The words of Paul to the church at Corinth. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love... I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. 
If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Right? The significance, the importance of love in our lives. Now verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Now, I've said this about several of the things we've studied over the last several weeks. This scripture is specifically primarily written to the Christian community. It helps us understand how to love one another in Christ. But as we've said each week, If it's true for the Christian community, how much more true should it be for our marriages? Right? If we can love our brothers and sisters in Christ with this kind of love, we certainly should be able to love our husband or our wife with this kind of love. And so we're going to kind of answer the question this morning based on the truth of Scripture how should we love? Here's the first truth I want you to see this morning. Number one, we should love with patience and kindness, right? If you're trying to figure out what love ought to look like in your marriage, in your life, uh, you ought to understand what the scripture teaches and you ought to begin to apply this to your life. And the first thing we see in verse four is that we should love with patience and kindness. Now listen, if I went around the room right now or if I went to overflow or I could get people at home to answer this question and I asked the question for you to define love, how would you define love? What would you say? I got a feeling we'd have a lot of different answers if people were asked to define love. Now, the problem is, oftentimes, we use the word love in a lot of different ways, don't we? Right? We we love pizza. How many love pizza? Anybody love pizza? A couple people? I, I love pizza. We also love sports, don't we? Right? We love the beach. At the same time, we love our children. Now, surely, we don't love pizza in the same way we love our children, right? We don't love family members in the same way we love sports, so they must mean different things. And so sometimes it's kind of confusing to us. You throw on that the fact that the world has defined love in a very different way. Oftentimes they've perverted the idea of love. Right To the world, love is very sexual, very self-serving. Usually it's completely emotional. And so for far too many people, they take this idea of the world's love, and for them it's physical and emotional only. And here's the problem, that When the physical kind of wears down and the emotional gets old, there's nothing left. And so people decide just to fall out of love and walk away. Right? The Bible defines love differently. And in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul gives us this beautiful picture of love. But I I love what he does here because he doesn't just define love. He he describes it, right? It's not just about words. Words matter, but it's really about actions. One commentator said it like this. Love is a matter of behavior, not feelings. In particular, it's other-directed behavior, not self-directed action. Now, now, love certainly does involve very strong emotions, but there's so much more than just emotions, right? If you think love is just emotion, when that emotion wanes, there's not going to be a real foundation for you to stand on. Paul's going to give us that foundation here. He's going to help us understand what real love looks like. And so he gives us several things in verse 4 to help us understand exactly how love ought to live. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant. There's a lot of things we could talk about in that verse. 
But I decided to kind of really hone in on patience because that's one thing in our world we really struggle with. The reason we struggle with it is because our world is a very impatient place, isn't it? You ever go up to the drive-thru and there's five or six or eight cars in front of you, you're like, shh, I'm not waiting six minutes for a hamburger. There's no way I'm waiting. You go somewhere else, right? You go, to, you go to Cracker Barrel. We went to Cracker Barrel last week. Preacher Max was coming out, right? He was coming out. We were going in. We walked in there like it's a 20-minute wait. I was like, no, it's not. We're going somewhere else. <laughs> 20 minutes. No, I can't wait 20 minutes. Right? We, we live in a world where if it takes the movie more than two or three minutes to download, we're like, what is going on with this internet? Like when I was a kid, right, you had to wait for the movie to come out months in advance. You looked forward to it. Then you got in line, bought your ticket, to go to the theater. Totally different mindset, right? We live in a world where patience is not a virtue for many people. And we want it right now. We want what we want, and we want it now. And the problem is we put that on our marriage. Now, now newsflash. Here's a newsflash. You ready for this? Get ready. You're married to an imperfect person. Did you know that? surprising for some of you. You're like, I never knew, right? You're married to an imperfect person. The problem is we want to fix that person right now sometimes, don't we? Like when I talk to couples that struggle, usually most of the conversation is about what they'd fix about the other person. That's usually what happens. And we try to turn that to say, look, what would you fix about yourself first? Let's start there, right? But we're imperfect and we're impatient. And so we want our husband or wife to be fixed right now. We see things they don't do well, things we'd like for them to change, and we don't have enough patience to let them work through that and kind of spend time necessary to make those changes. Now, here's the thing we need to understand about patience. It's an attribute of the Lord. It's a godly attribute we should have in our lives on all levels, but especially when it comes to marriage. So we see this in scripture. For example, Numbers 14, 18 says, the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And by the way, praise God he is, right? Psalm 86, 15 says, you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, right? We, we see the same thing with Jesus. Philippians 1, 6, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Here's what we need to understand about patience within a marriage. It's a lifelong pursuit. You've got to come to this place in your marriage where you say, listen, I do want some things to change, but I'm willing to be patient while we work through them. I'm willing to trust the Lord as we work through these difficulties. I'm willing to work through these struggles with my spouse and have the patience for the Lord to do a great work in our life. Here's what one writer said. In marriage, patience is about taking the long view. When we try to perfect our mate, we cause anxiety, tension, and doubt. The relationship becomes about performance. Can my husband meet my standards? Or will my wife ever stop doing that? Disappointment, conflict, and bitterness soon enter the picture. When impatient, we're taking the short view. In order to meet our expectations today, we try to do the work of God and change our spouse. We're meddling with his artwork, trying to hurry him along. The result can be harmful to our marriage, right? We, we need patience. Now, let me be clear. We're not talking about abusive situations. There's differences. I've talked about that a few weeks ago. 
We're not talking about if you're being abused or there's an abusive situation, but I'm talking about things that you struggle with, with your spouse, areas you need to improve, ways you need to get better. We need to live in patience there, right? We need to be patient in those situations. We need to take our time to work through those and allow the Lord to work. Now, here's what we say. Listen, it's easy, Adam, for me to be patient when times are good. It's difficult for me to be patient when times are bad, right? And I get that. And you say, I don't, I don't really know if Paul had in mind in 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient. If he's talking about when times are bad, he's probably talking about when things are really good. No, no, that's, that's not what he means at all. In fact, if you were to go back to the original Greek language, the idea of patience here means to bear up under provocation without complaint, being patient or forbearing, being patient in suffering. In fact, if you've got a King James Version Bible, the actual word used there is not patience, but long-suffering. It's the idea that, listen, I'm going to be patient even when times aren't great. I'm going to love you in richness and in poorness, right? In good times and in bad. In sickness and in health. There's a reason those vows are in place. Because we need to be reminded of what the Lord's called us to do. We need to be reminded of the importance of patience. We need to ask ourselves the question, how are we practicing patience in our marriage? How am I living patiently with my wife? How am I living patiently with my husband? How am I demonstrating patience and kindness within the confines of my marriage? Now look again at verse four. Let's see what he says. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Right. So we're going to love with patience. We're going to love with kindness. Truth number two. We're going to love with humility. We're going to love with humility. Now I want you to no- notice, pull verses four, five, and six back up again. I want you to see the phrases that Paul uses to help us understand this idea of humility, right? He says, love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast, right? It's humble. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's humble, right? It's not irritable or resentful. Does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Kind of built into the, the fabric of this text is this idea of humility. I'm not rejoicing and trying to get what I want. I'm not being rude about it. I'm thinking of you more than I'm thinking of me. That's humility, We we live within this idea of humility within our marriage. And I want you to notice what he says there. It's not irritable or resentful because here's what a lot of us will do. We'll do these things, but we're not happy about doing it, right? Like, yeah, I'll take out the trash, but I'm not happy about it. I'd rather be sitting in my chair watching TV. We're just mad about it. We're irritable, aren't we, right? I'll do it, but I'm not happy about doing it. And I'm going to pout for the next 30 minutes or the next hour. I'm going to let you know tomorrow that I wasn't happy about it. No, 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 that's not what we're we're saying here. Are we going to live with patience and kindness with humility, verse 5, not being irritable or resentful. Man, that's difficult to do, isn't it? It's very difficult to do. It takes time, takes effort, takes prayer, takes really living out what Christ teaches us to do and how he teaches us to live. But here's what we need to think, right? We need to remember as we think about being humble and, and, and living and loving others more than ourselves. If you ever want to know what example to look to, always look to Christ. Christ is always our example in all things. But in this particular context, there's a verse in Philippians chapter 2, and you don't have to look it up, but I want you to listen to what Jesus did for us. Now just kind of picture this just for a second. Jesus in heaven before he comes to earth, right? Everything's great. Everything's perfect. No sin. 
Jesus could have very easily stayed in heaven in all of the glory of the Father. Instead, he chose to come to earth. Now listen, if they'd asked me, if God had said, listen, Adam, what do you think about Jesus coming to earth? What do you think he ought to be? I probably would have said, listen, he needs to be a king or a famous ruler or somebody that everybody knows and, and popular and looked up to and everybody's seen him and wants to be with him or wants to talk to him and he needs to be this incredible personality. That's how I would have drawn the picture. That's not at, at all how Jesus actually came to the earth. In fact, Philippians 2, 4 lets us in on a little bit of a clue of how Jesus did this. Here's what the Bible says. Let each of you look not on his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This is Philippians 2, verse 4 and following. Verse 5 now. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, now this is talking about Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Right? When you start thinking about living in humility and being humble and sacrificing yourself for your spouse, look no farther than Jesus. He didn't have to come, right? He didn't have to live among us. He didn't have to make his dwelling among us, as, as John 1 says, but he did it and he lived and he loved and he sacrificed for us. He's the perfect picture of humility. He's the perfect picture of grace and love and our lives. Now, here's the thing about humility. It's an attitude, isn't it? You've just got to decide to do it. There's no magic potion to take. There's anything you can do physically to get to that point. You've just got to decide, listen, I'm going to be humble. I'm going to be patient. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be careful how I speak to you. I'm going to be careful the things I say. I'm going to be careful how I act. I'm going to be kind. I'm not going to be rude. I'm going to practice humility, right? So we've seen this picture in marriage, this mindset. We're going to be patient. We're going to be kind. We're going to allow the Lord to work. We're kind of got, we've got the long view here. We're going to be humble in the middle of that process. We're not going to be mad about it or irritable or resentful. We're going to allow the Lord to work, always trying to be more and more humble. Now look at verses four, five, and six again as we kind of wind this thing down. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Here's number three. We should love unselfishly, okay? We're gonna be patient. We're gonna be kind. We're gonna be humble. We're gonna love unselfishly. Now, Gary Chapman, who's a, a kind of a famous Christian author and, and Christian writer and specializes in marriage, wrote a book called The Five Love Languages. Typically, what we do when we love our spouse, we love selfishly. And here's what I mean by that. I'm going to go through this and just say because it's very, very practical. Right? We typically want to love somebody else the way we feel loved. So if you feel loved in a certain way, if your spouse does a certain thing that makes you feel love, you think that in order to love your spouse, you should do the same thing back, right? The problem is spouses don't always feel love in the same way. And so husband, you may think you're loving your spouse by doing certain things. She doesn't feel love that way. She needs to feel love a different way. So the trick is figuring out how your spouse feels loved and then doing those things for your spouse. 
Now, Gary Chapman wrote a book called The Five Love Languages. Go ahead and put that up if you would, please. I want you to see it very practical here. He's listed kind of five areas of love, right? And this is not an exhaustive list. These are kind of big categories. But he says, by and large, most people feel loved in one of these five areas. Words of affirmation, gift giving, quality time, physical touch, acts of service, okay? Now, I'm going to walk through these just very quickly because I want you to see them and understand, right? Words of affirmation are saying kind and supportive things to your spouse. It doesn't have to be just showering them with compliments all the time. It could be simple things like, thank you for doing that. Thanks for taking out the trash or doing the dishes, or I really love that outfit, or you did a great job, or thank you, I really appreciate all the hard work you do for your family, right? Some people feel love when they hear words of affirmation, okay? The next one, giving gifts or gift giving. This idea is that people feel loved when you give them something. The gifts don't necessarily have to be elaborate. They simply demonstrate that you've taken the the time and the energy to buy something for your spouse to let them know you love them. It could be easy. It could be flowers. Uh, It could be buying their their favorite uh, type of ice cream. It could be a gift card to Starbucks. It could be some sort of a present or a card. doesn't really matter. It's the idea that I'm going to give gifts to this person to let them know that I love them. The third one is quality time. Very simply, quality time is spending meaningful time with your partner. Now listen, this is important about quality time. Quality time means we're setting aside distraction, okay? It means I'm turning off my phone, I'm turning off the television, I'm putting the tablet down, the book, whatever's going on, I'm putting those things down. It's not you're talking to your spouse and you're answering a couple of texts as you're doing that, right? You're not doing that. It's not scrolling through Facebook between comments. We're not doing that. It's not watching the game and then looking at my spouse. Watching. It's, we're getting rid of distractions. Everything around us is off. My entire focus right now is on you. So whatever you want to say, I'm listening. I'm going to talk to you about this. I, I love you enough. You deserve enough. I'm going to sit here with you. We're going to have quality time together. It could be talking. could be going somewhere. There's a lot of ways this works itself out, but time together. Physical touch, being close to your spouse physically. This includes sexual stuff, of course, but it's way more than that. Holding hands, arm around the person at dinner or at a movie, uh, walking together, sitting close on the couch, just physical closeness, physical touch. Lastly, acts of service, right? Actions speak louder than words. And oftentimes acts of service are done without being asked to do them. So the idea is, listen, I'm going to get up and just do the dishes. I don't need my wife to ask me to. Uh, I don't need her to tell me they're dirty. I don't need her to drop hints about she wishes somebody would walk by the, the machine and load up the dishwasher. I'm just going to do the dishes. Right? That's an act of service for her. I'm just going to take out the trash. I'm just going to vacuum the rug or whatever. Right? And there's, people have different things they need, but I'm just going to do things for her. Wives are going to do things for him in acts of service just to say you love them. Now, here's the trick, right? You've got to understand how your spouse feels loved because here's the struggle. Let's say, uh, men, let's say that your love language is words of affirmation. And so you love it when your spouse says, you did, honey, you did a really good job with the yard, or you did a really good job with the house, or I love you, thanks so much for all you do for our family. Man, you feel good, you feel loved. And so what you think is, if I give her words of affirmation, she's going to feel loved, right? Because you're gonna love her in the way you feel loved. What you need to understand, she may have a different love language. So she may be gift giving. 
She may want you to get her small little things. And so you're trying as best you can, man, to love her, to say nice things, to compliment her. All the while, she's thinking, I just wish she'd bring me flowers one day. I wish she'd give me a card. I wish she'd give me something to Starbucks. Right? Simple. You just miscommunicate. You're trying hard, man. You're trying hard. You're just not loving her the way she needs to be loved. Same thing for the wife and the husband. We got to figure out what the love language is, and then you love your spouse in the way they feel love. You understand? That's a struggle, right? You got to think through that. You got to work through that. That requires some conversation, some discussion. So put the homework up, right? Here's the homework for this week. If you want to do this, here's what you can do. Spend some time talking about your love language. You can take an online assessment. They're available. I'll ask you a bunch of questions. It'll tell you what your love language is. Or read Gary Chapman's book on the five love, love languages. Great book. It's a pretty easy read, and it'll help you understand practically how you can love your spouse depending on what their love language is. A great, great practical thing for you to do in your marriage. Now listen, we need to love with patience. We, we need to love with humility. We need to be unselfish in our love. We need to put Christ first in all things in our marriage. And when we do that, we work and trust and pray and allow the Lord to do great things in our lives, we will experience joy we will experience hope, be fulfilled with great happiness, and I promise you, you will live happily ever after.